Welcome to God's Work Displayed, Season 2, Episode 3, James. So today we're going to be exploring uh, Scripture, specifically in the book of James. We're just going to be looking at a section of it. It's not going to be uh, not totally neatly tied up into one chapter because, you know, chapters are not, not actually inspired. So just always remember that. So, but we're going to look at mostly chapter 2. We're going to actually start with James chapter 1, verses 27, and go through James chapter 2, verse 26, which is the very end of James chapter 2. So we're going to look at what James is telling us through the, through the, Holy, or the Holy Spirit's telling us through James writing this letter. And we're going to see how that applies to individuals with severe and profound intellectual disabilities. Uh, the plan is then, after this one, we will hopefully do the one another's, and then we may jump into a gospel or two, or um, we'll see what happens next. I just, I definitely want to get to those one another's, or um, that may be where we just do a few one another's for an episode, and we do another few one another's for another episode, because there's, depending on how you count them, 40 to 60 one another's and so it could take a while some are repeats like love one another so <laughs> we don't have to hit every single one of those but i'm going to read through james um, 1 27 through 226 and like i do with pretty much every episode uh, this is in the new american standard version so if if your version is a little different that's probably why you most likely you're using most not many of us use this one um it's not i like this translation it's just me personally a lot of people like to use the english standard version which is a good one uh some people like to use the niv the new international version that's an okay one there's you know we can get into discussions about that but we're not because that's not what this podcast is about but that's just just so you know that's probably different if you're using the king james version you're going to sound really different. Um, if you are using that version, I would really encourage you to look at when it was made um, because the older ones don't have the best scholarship. And I know that may sound shocking to some of you, but it really doesn't. And so some of the translations are actually not that good for the older um, translations. Some of the newer ones are better because there's, believe it or not, there's new research all the time in language and how to better translate and understand language. So, <clears throat> that's there. All right, let's start. Chapter 1, verse 27 through 226. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in the good place. And you say to this poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, 
which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and it stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For, who, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But if someone may well say, You have faith and I have works, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this passage of James. And James has some controversy historically and just in general theologically. A lot of people debate about what James means, what, uh, what kind of letter it is, like how do you identify what's going on in it. And we'll touch on some of that. Um, historically, just so you know, a lot of people, it's been written that Martin Luther really didn't like the book of James. And that's argued as to why he's why James is actually towards the back of uh, the New Testament. I don't know, you know, could be true. Luther, Luther had strong opinions and stuff. Um, and a lot of people do think that James, they, they don't fully understand what the rest of Scripture is saying. And so they think that James is contradictory to much of what Paul says and much of what the gospel messages say. And um, so they like to try to pit it against other books of the Bible. When you read carefully... Other parts of the Bible, when you read carefully the book of James, it is in no way contradictory to those other books. And in fact, it's complementary to those books. So I think that's just important to remember when when we talk about this so that 
when you're looking through James on your own, you remember that this is this doesn't go against what other passages say. This is actually agreeing with passages, but it may be bringing out some other aspects of it. Um, so, and there's some other things in here that we probably won't get into too much because of what our focus is for this podcast. Um, and there's other, there's good commentaries if you're really interested. There's other things. So if there's something that I don't discuss that you're curious about, feel free to email me at godsworkdisplayed at gmail.com. And um, I'll be happy to discuss that with you. It's, it's, and I might even mention what I'm leaving out or not going to discuss. But I just, to be efficient with our time, uh, I may just leave some of those things alone. So, uh, and, and I want to, I should probably introduce James, the letter of James. James is a letter most likely written to Jewish converts. Um, and so a lot of people actually characterize James almost like a New Testament version of Proverbs. Um, I wouldn't say it's quite that, but there are what we call aphoristic sayings definitely in there. Aphoristic stains are just these um, common, what we would call proverbs a lot of times. So th- there is some commonality. It's clear that James um, was influenced in his writing style, probably by proverbs or by Ecclesiastes or some of the wisdom, what we call wisdom literature. Um, but it's very clear that James is um, very rooted in the gospel as well. And so that's, that's kind of what's going on. It's a letter to encourage um, believers to uh, not just sit on their hands um, as believers, but that there's an active component to faith. So uh, we're just going to take a quick break, uh, and then we'll, just, we'll kind of work through the passage like I like to do. Um, we're probably not going to do two separate sections of uh, interpretation and application. We'll probably do interpretation and application together this time. Um, because I think this is a really good book for that, to, to do that with. Um, so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll start really working through it. Okay, so we're back talking about James. We're going to work through it. So James 1.27 is a super powerful and kind of indicting passage, I think, for a lot of us, myself included. Um, Because I think think the most people listening, I'm assuming, are what we call evangelical, which is a super big camp, and there's a lot of definitions for that. But one of the essentials of evangelicalism is that um, salvation, uh, for to have salvation, belief in Christ um, dying for our sins and rising from the dead and a lot of those other aspects um, are inherent to being a believer. So... What's happening in verse 27 about pure and undefiled religion and then 
the description is not about belief in Christ is shocking to us. But I don't think that James is saying that um, this is this is how you are saved, just through works, through caring for the widows and caring for orphans. No, what he's saying is it's a summation of what he's been arguing earlier, which is that basically that you have to trust in Christ. And then if you're truly a believer, then your actions will follow through and as a result these will be your actions, okay? That you will visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world, which is pursuit of righteousness, which is why God has saved us. Still, it tells us in other passages, God saved us for holiness, for righteousness, for living as Christ-likeness. So that's what's happening. But it, it is, the way James writes it is, is very shocking. So, and then he goes into verse 1 of chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So here he's explaining the previous verse. Your, our faith is in Jesus. Thus, you can't have favoritism towards people. So, because... What happens, what he's saying in verse 27 is that people don't care about the unlovable, which I, that's not really good. To, the, those who are cast aside, those are, um, are the least of these, you know, widows and orphans. It's kind of the, the, the short term, shorthand term for that. And so, but what we want to do is we want to impress the wealthy, we want to impress the famous, we want to impress different people. That's the personal favoritism he's talking about. And later we see that as he works through um, in verse 2. That's what he does. He's like, look, you, when somebody wealthy comes in or somebody you want to impress comes into the, the, the gathering, you try to give them the best spot you want to impress him. But if somebody poor that doesn't look that great, maybe it's somebody that's known uh, in the community as a rough individual or not, not somebody you want to associate with, We'll put them, find a place, whatever, just, just get out of my way. That's that's our attitude. And that's what James is addressing. And so obviously for us, when we think about individuals with severe and profound intellectual disabilities, to make space for wheelchairs is usually an afterthought. Um, to not uh, stare at people that aren't acting the way we expect them to act. You know, if somebody's making a noise in the service, and I get it if you're startled. I'm, I have a strong startle reflex, as my kids love to take advantage of because they love to scare me and um, jump out behind things. But um, so, but if I'm in a if I'm in a church service and I hear a loud noise, uh, and it's not a baby, a tiny baby crying, I do. I have a tendency to look. It's just a response. Uh, make a weird noise. Oh, oh, it's uh, John Doe, who's the individual in the wheelchair that makes noise. Oh, it's them. Great. I'm glad they're. The attitude should be. I'm glad they're here. I got to make sure I talk to them at the end of the service. You know, that's the attitude we should have. 
But instead, too often, I've known people who have stared at them or they're motioning the deacons, get them out of here. They can't be in here. That kind of attitude. That's not okay. That's what James is addressing, too. So that's one of those. Um, we've talked about this in the podcast before. How do we make room for them with communion if they're believers? How do we make space for them to be baptized? How do we do that? That's that favoritism, too. Um, now, it may take a little work, and I'm not expecting it. Oh, this person's come to faith, let's baptize them today. Oh, we don't have, a, we don't have the right setup. That's okay. It may, I'm a, I don't see that as favoritism. Hey, give us a couple weeks to make sure we got a safe setup for them. Um, just because we got to get like the right thing put together or make sure that we're doing it right. That's totally a different issue. Uh, but to write off and say we don't, we shouldn't do that. That's where I have a problem with that. And so that's what James is doing through here. And so. James is primarily looking at socioeconomic issues, but I think it's safe for us to expand that. Um, throughout the Bible, we see it expanded in other areas, talking about ethnicities, talking about um, age, with children and elderly. Um, we see it with, again, with ethnicities a little more diverse than we realize, you know, they are the different nations, um, different backgrounds, different languages. So that's one of those, uh, one of those issues that comes, comes along. So we keep trucking along. We get to verse five. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Um, so this is pointing out, like, look, God really cares about the poor, about those who are considered the least important in our communities. Why don't we? You should be willing to be humbled and humiliated and disgraced for the gospel um, versus trying to impress the wealthy and influential. So that's kind of what verse 5 is, is talking about. But verse 6, we see that he's kind of flipped it on set. Um, but then we get to 8. And so I think this is where James really has the heart of what's going on here. Because James is very, very rooted in his Old Testament. He knows it well. And so the Lord, through, his, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is bringing that out in the writing. And so verse 8, if however you are fulfilling the royal law. I just love that phrase, the royal law. Um, in my Bible, it has a little note. It could also be translated as the law of our king, which is just as good. It's, it's a really, really fascinating passage going on here. So this royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law, the law of our king. We can get into some deep theology with this, but what I want to point out is that James is identifying this strain of thought that starts really early on in Scripture. Okay, Now, he's specifically referencing Leviticus. Okay, But we know 
really there's something going on earlier than that. Uh, Exodus, God rescuing his people in Genesis. God uh, in different little vignettes, uh, preserving people. And so um, you, you see different things like in Genesis, you think of Tamar, you think of uh, Leah, you think of some other... Uh, he cares for Ishmael, you know. Um, we pick on that, but really he cares about Ishmael. He He's made... Ishmael is uh, an image bearer, so God cares about it. And that's what he expects. He expects his people to care about fellow image bearers, loving their neighbor. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that so we see that in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. We see that all throughout um, the histories. Ruth is a good example. Uh, David taking care of Mephibosheth. We see that in the Proverbs, how important that is to care for people. And then the prophets, that's the thing. The prophets nail Israel on every single time. Not caring for other people. It's the royal law. So then we get to the New Testament, and Jesus cares about other people. And then we, we see the story of the Good Samaritan. And that's, you know, what is a neighbor? And that big, rich question. And so the law of the king, the royal law, the king is Jesus. Jesus calls for us to care for other people. He says, the top two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And the second, so love your neighbor as yourself. All Everything hangs off this. It's the royal law. That's what he's talking about. And so for us, we have to be thinking about other people. We have to be thinking about how can we love them well in their individual specific needs. So that's what's happening here. It's royal law. And I just, like I said, it's it's one of my favorite terms um, in there. And I, and I wrote at one point that this echo of this prophetic commands of God's covenant people to care for those less fortunate, which is a result of them being God's vice regent since his people are his image bearers. Okay. So it's incumbent upon us. We are image bearers. We are vice regents. We have to obey the king. And that's part of his law. And then, but if you show partiality, verse 9, you are committing sin. We can't favor people. We stumble. We we sin against the whole law. And, and that's, when we turn to verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. You know, a lot of people think of the uh, just the Ten Commandments. You know, Ray Comfort does a good job of this, pointing out, and I don't think he holds exclusively to the Ten Commandments the only thing, but I think people picture that, and so that's how they think through that. But James is clearly showing that it's beyond the Ten Commandments. It's this is caring for other people. This is loving your neighbors yourself. That's not in the Ten Commandments. That's in Leviticus. So, when you fail to care for others, you are failing the entire law. You are sinning greatly. So, and then he 
connects it in verse 11 to the Ten Commandments, but he's really connecting it to the sinning against others. Okay? Um, and so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. And that's where we can get into some different issues of what is the law of liberty, what does that mean, the law of Christ, how does that tie into the Old Covenant, but we're not going to get into that. But just so you know, this is very clear that also we're not supposed to commit adultery, we're not to commit murder, we're to care for other people, actively care for other people. I've talked about it the last one. The, a lot of people think that I'll pay my taxes, paying into these government welfare programs, that's how I care for other people. That's the total opposite of it. I don't, my paycheck, I don't ever see those, that money that goes into those government welfare programs. So I'm not doing anything. You know, it's pulled out pre-tax. So, so for me to claim that is a lie. It's a deception. Actively caring for people is doing things, seeing a need, and stepping in to meet that need. And sometimes it requires getting help to meet that need, but that's what that is. Okay, So <clears throat> that's what's kind of going on here. And then there's, verse 13 is pretty harsh. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, so that's kind of where we are at that. And in verse 14, James reiterates this, you know, faith without works is dead faith. Verse 15, you've got to meet these needs, brother or sister without clothing in need of food. And you just say, go in peace, be warm, be filled. You just you just preach the gospel, but you don't care for them. It's no good. They have to be paired together. Now, giving them food and not sharing the gospel, that's also a failure. They have to be paired together. We have to meet both needs. Because we God cares for the whole person, thus we should be caring for the whole person. And so... James gets into this imaginary conflict of somebody talking about faith versus works and all this kind of stuff. And he points out that those who claim faith alone in terms of I shared the gospel with them or I prayed for them and then didn't actively seek to do them good, that's really not different than demonic faith. The demons know that God is real. It's not a big deal. Acting upon your belief, that's where the rubber hits the road. So, uh, verse 20. But you are willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith, that works is useless. I read that wrong, but it's a question. You have, are you willing to recognize that? You have to pair that up. It's no different than what Jesus teaches. It's no different than what Paul teaches. It's no different than what is throughout all the New Testament. The faith and works is combined. Works is a result of faith. Okay? It's God pouring into us and us pouring out into other people. Okay, so that's what's going on. Now we see a description about Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham claimed to believe in God, but what was credited to him righteousness? Remember, he had to act on the command to sacrifice Isaac. Now, did he actually do it? No, God stopped him. But he was acting on it. He was acting out his faith. Okay, it's not just this faith and that's it it's we have 
to show that it's true faith, we have to respond to that faith. Okay? Do I believe that you, you earn ranks? You earn, you earn a better salvation? Through works? No. What happens is that as we grow in our faithfulness, as we grow to be more Christ-like, we act more like Christ. Okay? That's what's happening. We're growing. Okay. And so... James, again, explains all this. And he talks about Rahab, the harlot. You know, that's in Joshua. You know, when they're coming in and they're taking out Jer they got to take out Jericho. She acted because she trusted in the God of the Israelites. Or the God of the Hebrews, actually. In this case, they're not Israelites yet. And so she was justified by works because those works were demonstrating what was going on in her heart. Okay. So verse 26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We're dead if we're not working. Our faith is pointless if we don't act on it. Because our faith doesn't mean anything to us if we're not acting on it. That's a conviction I have to deal with. Like, I struggle with that uh, a lot. Because I just want to do nothing. I have a tendency to just want to be head knowledge and to not go deeper with my actions. And so that's something I have to actively fight. And I'm not doing great at it. But, I'm, you know, that's convicting to me. So hopefully the Lord will be working in me to convict me of that. So how does this play in with people with intellectual disabilities? Be seeking them out and caring for them, meeting their needs. Go. Find somebody that has an intellectual disability. Find somebody that just has a need and care for them and get to know them share Christ with them and when they reject Christ keep caring for them and share Christ again with them and get on and on Okay. our duty is not to convert people our duty is to love people and the ultimate way we love people is through sharing Christ but we also have to pair that with caring for them as a whole person so that's that's where that plays in you know some may claim that I'm a liberal I'm actually really conservative. <laughs> uh, uh, go to the text, see what the text is saying. I've got to know what the text is. And that's what the text is. And it's hard. It's hard for us. So, um, as you start thinking about how do I care for people with intellectual disabilities, this, this should be a helpful thing to process through. Okay? Not creating ministries, not creating programs, serving people so um, that's kind of all I've got with that I know it wasn't a lot I feel like James is a uh, I remember I had to preach a sermon on James once for a preaching class <laughs> and the easy part about James is it's very application focused um, getting into some of the other things it was a little difficult but the, the, they probably why they gave us James because it's easy to do application so that's kind of what what it is if you have more questions about what i talked about again email me god's work displayed at gmail.com i'll be glad to answer those and um uh really really for that again i think we're going to maybe look at some one another's um, maybe we'll talk about some some passages in the gospels soon and uh, who knows what will work out after that but definitely the one another's um 
and, it, and again, as I think about it more, it's probably going to be chunks of one another's because it's a lot. So um, we didn't pray at the beginning, so I'm going to take time to pray, and then we'll be done. First Father, thank you again for your word that informs us, and trains us, and teaches us how we're to be like Christ. Please let the Holy Spirit move in us to let our faith be living and active, to be seeking out those in need and meeting those needs and sharing Christ with them. Please do not let us be complacent with our faith that we just sit on our hands and um, do nothing and be dead. But instead, let it, let it live in us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.